Trinity Baptist Church. 1972, I was 16 years old, up in Buffalo, and I got a call. I was wrestling in a wrestling match, and to come to the front, and I did, and my uncle was there saying, we got to go to the hospital and see your mother's in the hospital. Went to the hospital, and I was taken in, and my mother was laying there on a bed with IVs, and she had cancer, which I'd known about, but as a young kid, you just say, oh, it doesn't mean anything to you. And she was dying. That was the last night she was alive. As I stared down at her, she handed me a Bible, Philip's Bible, and inside it said, I always love you, and everything you need and everything you want is in these pages. Love always, Mom. I took that Bible, put it in a box, and put it in the back of my closet. 55 years. I've lived quite an extraordinary life as a human being on this earth. I was very blessed. I uh, did amazing things. I uh, was able to do stand-up comedy and work professionally, work with Jay Leno, Jerry Seinfeld, all the famous people, travel the country. I worked on Wall Street made millions, made a lot of money, met a lot of people, famous people as well, did extremely well, got an MBA from Columbia in 2000, met met tremendous people in that program. I had a house in Southampton. I was doing well. I was a king of my own kingdom. I'd done everything on my own. I had two black belts in karate, 40 years. I had my own schools up in Syracuse. Yeah, it was a great kingdom, great king. 9-11 happened, and for whatever the reasons, Wall Street just started to dissolve. Things happened. I lost my job. Things continued to unwind. It's funny, like God was saying, I got my eye on you, but I didn't know. Everything unwound, lost the house, lost all my money, all my 401ks, lost everything. And I reached a point where I couldn't even feed my family. I was robbing groceries to just put food on the table. Robbing groceries. I remember my son once said to me, Dad, what are we going to have for dinner tonight? I couldn't answer him. I didn't have the answer. My whole life I've had the answer. I reached the point where I, I had nowhere to go. Yeah, I had a lovely, beautiful wife. Two beautiful children. I felt like my hands were tied behind my back. Karate couldn't get me out of that. I was trying everything. I had ego, I had pride. This king thing of that I was living wasn't working. I reached the point where I hit the bottom. I thought about suicide. I had nowhere to go. Somebody in my building that comes to this church kept saying, you know, you got to come over to this church, Trinity Baptist, and I, I blew it off. Oh, I don't need that. Prayer. Well, I don't need that. Well, I needed it that day. I came here because I had nowhere else to go. I sat right up there crying, not even knowing why I'm here. My wife had found out, and she came and brought me by the hand at the end of the service and walked me down to the front. She going, we're going to go to the prayer service. You need to be prayed for. I'm saying, no way. Even then, not me, I was angry. I was prideful. 
I didn't want that. I was scared. It was like I had to be put on the cross. Christ knew this. I had to be put on the cross in order for him to expose himself to me. My wife walked me to the front. This woman put her arms around me, and I was trembling. I don't even know if I heard what she was saying, but she was praying for me. I was broken. The Holy Spirit came into me. I saw Jesus. I saw him. That's the only way I would have seen him, and he knew it. He had to break me down so I could see him. My tears are because I can't believe it took 55 years, my whole life, and he so harshly brought me down, but yet so gently laid me on the ground so I could see him. My name's Mike Little, and I am new. After the wall had been rebuilt, I had set the doors in place. The gatekeepers, the musicians, the Levites were appointed. I put in charge of Jerusalem my brother Hanani, along with Hananiah, the commander of the citadel, because he was a man of integrity and feared God more than most people do. I said to them, the gates of Jerusalem are not to be opened until the sun is hot. While the gatekeepers are still on duty, have them shut the doors and bar them. Also appoint residents of Jerusalem as guards at their posts and some near their own houses. Now the city was large and spacious, but there were few people in it, and the houses had not yet been rebuilt. So my God put it into my heart to assemble the nobles, the officials, and the common people for registration by families. I found the genealogical record of those who had been the first to return. This is what I found written there. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Mike. You know, when, uh, when Mike was asked to give his testimony today, he had no idea what I was going to be preaching on. I had a, an inkling of what he would share because I'd heard his story before. But after hearing his testimony today and thinking about the words that God has put on my heart to share with you today, I know that what you just experienced was a divine appointment. And I, I'm excited for you today. I'm excited for me. Over the past six weeks, uh, we've been working our way through a series in the book of Nehemiah. And uh, we've been considering what it means to be extraordinary. Extraordinary. And, and this week, we, we come to a place in, in the study where the walls of Jerusalem have been completed. The gates have been set into place, the locks and bars are ready, and the first great task that God laid on Nehemiah's heart has been completed. And what's amazing is it was completed in just 52 days. I mean, if you think about the scope of this project... 52 days is, is miraculous in itself. And uh, this is also a, a pivotal moment in the history of Israel. Because as, as you know, if you, if you look at the, the history of Israel, uh, they had kind of a rocky road. Um, there were seasons where they were following hard after God, and God was blessing them, and, and nothing could go wrong. In those seasons. And there were other seasons where they got distracted. Uh, they, they fell into disobedience and they turned their back on God and they lived 
the way they pleased. And in those seasons, uh, God would remove his favor on Israel and, and allow things to fall as they might. And so in this season, uh, Israel is just coming out of one of those times where they had been disobedient. Seventy years they had been in captivity. But now, after 70 years, what we see in the rebuilding of these walls is God is once again extending his grace and his mercy and his faithfulness. And he's raising them up out of the ashes and helping them to rebuild these walls. And so, when the walls have been completed, God gives Nehemiah another task. And this task is far more important than the first task. The first task was building the walls. The second task was to build a nation. A nation of people that would, that would run hard after God. That would remain obedient to his commands that would live their lives with integrity. They'd be faithful to the things of God. And they would not turn their backs on God. And so God is thinking, how do I raise up a people like this? How can I be sure that I have a group of people in Jerusalem that are going to be faithful to me? And so... What we see is that in, in Nehemiah 7.4, and, and this is what, a part of what Mike read, he says, Now the city was large and spacious, but there were very few people in it, and the houses had not yet been rebuilt. So my God put it on my heart to assemble the nobles, the officials, and the common people for registration by families. What is God doing here? Why is, is it important for Nehemiah to take the time and effort to trace down this genealogical record? Well, the answer to that question is that God wanted to be sure that those who were returning to Jerusalem belonged there. You see, the Jews were God's chosen people. And so it was important to know that while these walls were being constructed, that those returning, those that would end up in positions of leadership, those that would be an active part of the community, it was important to know that they were actually Jewish. So that they would have an appreciation for the things of God. So Nehemiah finds the genealogical record for those who had returned. And what we learn is that if, if a person's name was on the list, if their genealogical record and the history of their ancestry leading back to the 12 tribes could be found, they knew that they belonged. They knew that they belonged and they were accepted into the community. But if those records could not be found, they were deemed unclean and excluded from the fellowship. Now, today, because of what Christ has done, what Christ has done on our behalf, all of us have access to God. Jew and Gentile alike. It doesn't matter where you're from or what your nationality is or what you've believed previously. All of us have access to God. It's no longer based on a genealogical record, whether we belong or not. But I'm here to tell you today that God still has a standard that determines whether or not we belong, whether or not we're saved. If you were to look at Revelations 21, 27, it says... No one who does what is shameful or deceitful will enter the kingdom of God, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. 
So the question for us today is this. Do we belong? How can we be sure that our names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life? Well, the answer is found in Matthew 7, verses 13 through 23, which may be one of the most troubling passages of Scripture in all the Bible. Isn't that wonderful? You didn't know that that you were going to come into this today. But here we are. And I'd like to read this passage for you. It says, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Now, here's where it really gets disturbing. In verse 21, it says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But only the ones who do the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Now, what is so troubling about this passage is that Jesus is telling us that there are people who will live their entire lives believing that they are Christians. They will prophesy in the name of Jesus. They will drive out demons in the name of Jesus. And they will perform many miracles in the name of Jesus. But when Judgment Day comes, they will discover that they were not Christians. They only thought they were. Now, similar to Nehemiah's account, if their names weren't written in the book of life, or in the book, they were considered unclean, and they were cast out. Now, what I want to share with you today is controversial. And you may not like what I have to share with you today. You may not like me after we're done today. And that's okay. I'm okay with that. Because this, in my opinion, is so important that I don't care what you think of me as long as you consider the things that I'm saying and you line them up with Scripture and you decide for yourself as to what I'm saying, if it's true or if it's not true. If what Jesus is saying here is true, there will be people, maybe even in this room today, who think they are Christians. But they're not. And on that final day of judgment, there will be people, just like you and me, who are absolutely confident that we're going to be welcomed in. And we will find out on that day that we are not only are we not welcomed in but we're going to be sent to hell in this passage Jesus purposefully singles out people who think that they're Christians and when he tells them that they don't belong they get defensive 
They say, wait a minute, Lord. In fact, they say, Lord, Lord, which in Hebrew culture, whenever you repeat something, it adds emphasis, kind of the way when we use all caps when we write something or an exclamation point at the end of the, the sentence. When this person says, Lord, Lord, what they're saying is, I really believe that you're Lord. And they'll say, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we drive out demons in your name? Didn't we perform many miracles? Not only did they think they were Christians, but they were doing all these things, these miraculous things. These are the type of people that would probably be leaders in the church. These are people that were likely deacons, or trustees, or elders, or even pastors. How could it be that Jesus did not know them? When we read a passage like this, it should challenge us. It should challenge us to take a really hard look at the doctrine of salvation. We need to make sure that we got it right. Because according to this passage, a lot of us did not get it right. When we take a close look at the church in America today, so much of what we see is based on a godless culture and not the Word of God. I once heard a quote, and it's impossible to quantify this, but I heard a quote, and I'll share it with you. It said that if the Holy Spirit left the church in America, 90% of those churches would go on as if nothing happened. So many people have been deceived into thinking that if they said a prayer at some point in their life, that they're going to heaven. And when these same people compare themselves to other people in the church who claim to be followers of Christ, they think they're doing just fine. Because when they look at the lives of those other people, their lives look just like everybody else in the world. And so they say, well, I must be doing fine. You know, according to the American Religious Identification Survey, 76% of Americans identify themselves as Christians. But most of them could care less about holiness or about being separate from the world or pursuing God with all their heart, mind, soul, or strength. You know, there's almost no difference, statistically, between those who call themselves Christians and those who don't. The rate of domestic violence, abortions, infidelity, it's all pretty much the same. Statistically speaking, you'd be hard-pressed to find any differences They talk like the world, they walk like the world, they aspire to the things of this world. They, lo they love the world so much, and yet if you ask them, they would say, oh yeah, I'm a Christian. What are you basing that on? Well, several years ago when I was at a junior high camp, now I prayed to receive Jesus. Now, right now, you may be looking at me, and you may be thinking, my gosh, what happened to James? <laughs> you know, he's being so judgmental. You know, I, I'm the pastor around here that's known for giving light and uplifting and encouraging messages. I talk about puppies and things like that. <laughs> well, I just want to tell you right now that this is not one of those messages. It's not one of those messages, and I'm uncomfortable giving a message like this. 
But I think this is the message that God wanted me to give you. And, and by the way, I'm not just preaching to you. I'm preaching to me. Whenever I get up here, I preach to myself. I preach to myself. And let me be the first to tell you that I have wasted years of my life running after things that the world said that I needed. Looking for security, identity, love, success, a sense of well-being. Years of my life were wasted pursuing things that have absolutely no eternal value. None. And yet that many years, many of those years, if someone were to come up to me and say, James, do you consider yourself a Christian? I would have said, oh yeah. But there was no correlation between my statement of faith and the way that I was living. You know, when I went to my 10-year reunion... They had this uh, celebration, and it was at one of the local bars in my hometown. And I went, and I, and I was standing by the bar, and a couple of my old friends came up to the bar, and you know, we were having a, a beer, and, and one of them said, James, so what are you doing now? And I said, well, I'm a pastor in New York City. And you know, at least two of those people at the bar spit their drinks out. Because they could not believe that I could have become a pastor. Given the fact that, well, just, just looking at the way that I had lived my life during that season. Years of my life were wasted. And to think of all the things that God could have or wanted to do in and through me. But I wasn't listening. I didn't want to listen. I thought that if I said the prayer, you know, I could, I'd have salvation, and I could always make things right with God later in life. But I wanted to live for me in that season. Many of us have been taught in the church that if we pray a prayer... And invite Jesus into our hearts. That's really all we have to do. There's really nothing else that we have to do. But you know what? I cannot find that anywhere in Scripture. I can't find it anywhere in Scripture. In fact, the Bible says that salvation comes by faith alone in Jesus Christ. And that faith in Jesus Christ is preceded and followed by repentance. You know what that, that, that shows us? It, it shows that it's a process. That, that, uh, that the Holy Spirit is convicting a person and moving them into a place where they are identifying with Christ in the same way that Mike described in his testimony. And then after they make that declaration of faith or after they pray that prayer, uh, following repentance for the things that they'd done that were so ungodly, that's the beginning of the journey. And there's this series of times where you're going to be repenting again and again as you begin to grow in your faith and understand what it looks like to be a follower of Christ, a true follower of Christ. If we're really saved, we ought to be turning away from sin and growing in our love for the things that God loves. If we're really saved, we're not going to be even close to being as interested in the things of this world as we were before. In fact, we're going to want to be more and more like Christ every day. That is going to be the thing that gets us up in the morning. Christ is moved into the center of our lives, from the periphery. Matthew 7, 16 says, By their fruit, you will recognize them. 
the Bible teaches that genuine Christians have been given a new nature. A new nature that enables them to walk in the way of righteousness. And when they step off that path, and we will, because we're still living in a fallen world and we're still fallen, but when we step off that path, the Holy Spirit will be quick to convict us, not condemn us, convict us, and move us back onto the path of righteousness so we can once again live for Christ as he intended us to. If we're saved, there should be evidence that God is working in and through our lives. 2 Corinthians 13, 5 says, Examine yourself and see whether or not you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you? Unless, of course, you fail to test. Okay, what, what this shows me is that we need to be doing these inventories of how we're doing. And in the process of doing an inventory like that, we need to ask ourselves over and over again, is Christ in the center of our lives? Or have we let the things of this world push Christ out to the periphery where he's no longer impacting us in the way that he needs to impact us so that we can accomplish the things that God has put on our hearts to do? Jesus says, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. You know, there's only one gate. There's only one gate. There's only one God and one mediator between man and God, and his name is Jesus Christ. Jesus tells us, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. All of us have sinned. All of us. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God. All of us. And we know that, you know, we, we read that, we, we talk about it sometimes, but do we really understand what that means? We've all rebelled against God. We've broken every law. And it's not just an issue that there is sin in our lives. The issue is that we've never stopped sinning. God is a holy God, and he demands holiness. But so many of us, and, and I'm including myself in this, revert back to loving the very things that God hates. Last week, Keith uh, was telling us that he likes to find nuggets of truth in bumper stickers. Remember when he said that, for those of you who are here? And he said that, Last week, as God would have it, he came across a bumper sticker that fit perfectly with his message. It said, extraordinary only happens if you make it. Okay, well, ironically, I saw a bumper sticker this week that fits perfectly with my message. <laughs> and you know what it said? It said, everything I love in life is fattening, illegal, or immoral. <laughs> and you know, when I saw that, I laughed too. I, I really laughed. And you know the reason why I laughed? It's because there's an element of truth in it. You know, there's this constant pull to re-enter the things of this world. And, and then there's, there's this pull of the Spirit to align ourselves with the things of God. And so, so many of us have one foot in the world and one foot with God. And it's tearing us apart. Why is it that we believe, there's a part of us that believes that God is holding out on us. There's a part of us that believes that in this aspect of my life, or this area of my life, I want to be in control. I'll let God have this part and this part, but oh, not this. Because I think I know best. And who knows where God would have me go if I, if I submitted my life wholeheartedly to him. I could end up in Africa in a hut. 
Believe me, I, I've had this dialogue in my mind as well. But let me just tell you something. God would never hold out on you. He loves you more than you love yourself. And I'm telling you, if God has it in his mind, and he raised you up and created you to be in a hut in Africa to do his will, you will never be satisfied until you're in that hut. Everything that you put your hand to is going to pale in comparison to the things that God has intended for you, the things that God has ordained for you to do. And there are amazing things. I think one of the most disappointing things about this whole spiritual walk is there will come a day when the Lord is going to show us all the things that could have been if we would have just followed hard after him. The only way that we will ever break free from the chains that bind us is to be reconciled with a holy God through Jesus Christ by the power of his Holy Spirit. That's the only way. There's not a self-help book out there. There's not a class. There's not a program. There's not a guru. Nothing will help you except for Jesus Christ. Do you know why you're saved, if you're saved today? When Jesus Christ was hanging on the cross, he bore your sin and my sin, past, present, and future. All the wrath that should have been ours was put on Jesus, and he gladly took it. It wasn't easy for him. We know from the Garden of Gethsemane that he struggled with it. But when it came down to it, he said, your will, Father, not mine. Because he knew how much the Father loved you and me. He was willing to do it. And in Isaiah 53, it says, it pleased Yahweh to crush him. It pleased him can you imagine being a father and saying, it pleased me to crush my child? That should give you an indication of how much God loves you. It would take a whole lot for me to crush my baby. I'm not even sure I could do it. But this passage says, that he gladly did it because he knew the result would be that it would open the doors for you to spend eternity with him. God wants you to be saved. He wants you to spend eternity with him. He wants you to belong. He wants your name to be written in the Lord's book of life, the Lamb's book of life. Rising again from the dead, power to save. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. So how can we be sure that our names are written in the Lamb's book of life? We're supposed to go through the narrow gate. But what does that look like? If you were saved, you're saved because you repented of your sins. And you believed and not only did you believe when you said that prayer, you've been repenting and trying as hard as you could to live hard after God ever since. And in the midst of that, you have been trying with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength to do the things that the Father has called you to, to be obedient to the Father. That's how you know you're saved. And don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that we shouldn't say a prayer to receive Christ. We should. I'm just saying that that's not the end. There are some things that have to happen prior to that, and there are some things that continue to happen after it. It's not a flu shot. We need to continue in, to invest in God's Word. 
We need to find accountability and support. That's why here at Trinity we offer so many different programs and opportunities for you to go deeper in your walk with God. You can join the choir. You can participate in the, the Challenging Lifestyle series that we're offering starting today. You can join the, the Tuesday night women's group or the, the 20-somethings ministry. There's a men's ministry. There's the Illumination Project, which is also happening today. We have so many things around here, and we don't do those things or offer those things just because we're bored. We're offering those things because we know that you need accountability. You need support. We all do. And when we join something like that, we can come alongside one another and ensure that we are walking on the path of righteousness. The Christian walk is a journey. And you were never intended to walk on that journey alone. Philippians 1.6 says, He who began a great work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. Again, you see that process? It's process-oriented. We're supposed to go through that one gate, which is Jesus, but we've forgotten a very important aspect of this teaching. Not only is, is the gate narrow, but the path is narrow as well. If Jesus is the center of your life, then you will know that he is no longer an accessory. The decisions that you make will be based on the things of Christ. When you get out of bed and you start putting your day together, you're going to be thinking, what is God wanting me to do today? What are the divine appointments that God has for me? I'm looking forward to them. I don't want to miss them. The evidence that we're a genuine born-again Christian is that we are doing the will of the Father. And I'm not speaking about works here. I'm, I'm talking about evidence of the transformation that has taken place in your life. You know, we may have been taught, maybe even in church, that the most important thing in life is knowing Jesus. But you know what? It's not. The most important thing in life is that Jesus knows you. The devil knows Jesus. A lot of people know Jesus. But does Jesus know you? If I went to the White House today, took the bus down, Washington, D.C., made my way over to the White House, walked up to the gate in front, said hello to the guard, and said, hey, um, you may not know this, but I know Obama, and I'd like for you to let me in. Do you think he'd let me in? There's no way he would let me in. But what if I went there, and I'm at the gate, and while I'm standing at the gate, Obama comes down, and he says to the guard, oh, I know James Leonard. Uh, you can let him in. Is the guard going to let me in? That same analogy works in our relationship with God. Jesus needs to know us. And how do you develop a relationship with Jesus? The same way you develop any kind of love relationship. You've got to invest. Are you growing in your walk? Are you doing the will of the Father? On that final day, will your confession hold true? True Christians bear fruit. The fruit of the Holy Spirit. It's about walking the talk, it's about faithfulness, and it's about obedience. Do you know what a move of God would take place in this place? If we all came under conviction of the Holy Spirit? It could be amazing. Just amazing. In the same way that God wanted Israel to be a nation that would separate themselves from the things of the world 
and glorify him all the days of their lives. That's what God wants for you and me. He wants our names to be written in the Lamb's book of life. He wants to spend eternity with us. He wants us to belong. Consider all that he's done to make this possible. So how do we respond? Some of us need to confess that we've been calling ourselves Christians for a long time, but our lives really don't reflect that. And if that's you, this would be a great day to put a stake in the ground and say no more. From this day forward, things are going to look different. I am going to wholeheartedly live my life hard after God. Maybe you're not a Christian and and you, you were invited here today or you just came in You're just checking this whole thing out. Quite a day to do that. (laughs) But maybe in the midst of that message, you're thinking, hey, I'd kind of like to have my name in the Lamb's Book of Life. If we're talking about all eternity. And we are. And you're invited. It doesn't matter what you've done or how long you've been doing the things that you're doing. You're only one step away from beginning a vibrant relationship with Jesus Christ. But you got to want it. You have to make the step. You know, one of the beautiful things about a love relationship is we choose to love. We choose. God's not going to force us. Now, if you decided that you want to start living your life for God today, or maybe you're recommitting your life to Christ, um, We have a prayer ministry that's going to be stationed right over in this section. In fact, I don't care what kind of business God is doing in your heart and mind today. If you are making a declarative change in the way you're living your life, I would encourage you to go over and pray with someone on the prayer team today. Let them intercede on your behalf. Let them walk with you. Let them be an encouragement to you. Some of you feel great about your life right now. I mean, your spiritual walk is rocking. And if that's true of you, um, just praise God for all that he's done to make that possible. That he's been there with you to sustain you and to to help you to thrive. In in just a moment, I'm going to invite the the ushers to come forward for communion. And we're all going to have the opportunity to come to the table today. And when we come to the table, um, communion is designed to help us remember what Christ has done for us. The bread represents the body of Christ, which was broken for us. And the juice represents uh, the blood of Christ poured out as a new covenant so that our sins could be forgiven. And so when when we take those elements... We are identifying with that and saying, thank you, God. Okay? So if you're a believer, we want you to be able to do that. And we talked a little bit about community. In our tradition here at Trinity, we want you to come up in groups of two or three or four. Introduce yourselves to the people at the communion table. Because you're going to be sharing life with these folks. They're there to support you and encourage you, so we might as well start practicing. Okay? Now, uh, I'd like to invite the ushers to come forward now for the the communion, but here's something that I want to do that's very different from what we've done in the past. And and this is going to be a little weird for some of you. I, I I would like to invite you to stand, and I would like for us to invite the Holy Spirit to come into this place and to fill us personally. We all need a fresh anointing of the Spirit. Do you know that in Ephesians 5.18 it says, be filled with the Spirit. And if we were to look at that passage in the original Greek, it is in the present continuous form. 
which means go on being filled by the Spirit. Okay? So we receive the Spirit when we first become Christians, and then we can open ourselves up to being filled and refilled with the Spirit as we continue on our journey of faith. Someone once asked Dwight Moody, the great evangelist, Dwight, are you filled with the Spirit? And he responded by saying, yes, I am, but I leak. Do you feel like you leak? I feel like I leak. Sometimes I find myself just on a spiritual high, and then the slightest little inconvenience happens in my life, and and I've reverted to, like, the old me in just a second. How does that happen? I leak. But I can pray for an infilling, a renewal of the Spirit and His presence. The Holy Spirit is our comforter, our counselor, and his role is to regenerate, regenerate us and guide us and sanctify us, empower us, and to fill us with his presence. And he's also, by the way, the giver of gifts. And so what I'd like for us to do at this point is to just hold our hands out like this in, in a posture of, of receptivity. Because, you know, and again, I know this is a little weird for some of you. And when things are weird... Our tendency is to, to go like this. We fold our arms and we kind of lean back. And it's as if we're saying, I dare you, God, to do something in my life. Okay. But what we want to do is put ourselves in a position where there's an openness to what the Spirit wants to do. And then we just ask Him to come. Fill this place with your presence, Lord. You can say it out loud. Invite him to come. Fill me, Lord, with your presence, Lord. And as you're praying, the the worship team is going to lead us in in worship. The the ushers are going to be in place for communion when you feel ready. Uh, And the prayer team is going to be in place if you need to do some business with God. But don't miss out on what God wants to do in and through you today. Fill us, Lord. Fill us. Fill this place.